Welcome to our Newport Church at Home online service. So glad you could join us today. We are praying that you experience God's presence, life, hope and faith rise on the inside of you and that you know that God has a plan, God has a purpose for your life and that whatever's going on around about you, if God be for you, who can be against you? I pray that you open up your heart and receive what our worship team bring as they lead us into a place of where we can worship God and experience His presence. And I pray that you'd know God's presence working powerfully at this time in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Newport Church. Happy Sunday. It is a beautiful day and I hope that you had a good week in God's presence as we continue to learn more about what it looks like to go into new realms and new spaces um, as we follow God. And I want to remind our church family that the love and the grace of Jesus Christ is what allows us to come before him just as we are. So I want to invite you, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're at, whatever's happened this past week, that you come before God in this time just as you are to receive his love and his grace in this very moment. Amen. Undeserved is freely given. All my regrets and my failures, all of my wrongs have been left at the cross. Now all that remains is the Father's love. Take me. 
Thank you. We're so thankful for our worship team who are so faithful in leading us into the presence of God on a continual basis. And last night, we had an amazing worship night. We were so, it was such a blessing to gather together outside uh, our church building. Uh, we had Jake and Raquel, great friends of ours who came and led worship with Pablo and Becky and our worship team. And it was such a great evening. And uh, uh, it was, uh, we wanna continue to do that. And I wanna encourage you, if you weren't able to be with us, make sure you're with us. And next time we gather, we'll be giving you information about that. But I'd love to pray for you right now and uh, pray that whatever's going on in your life, God will move supernaturally. So Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence. We thank you today that there's nothing that can separate us from you and the love of Christ. And I pray that as we are gathered in homes all over Orange County and beyond and in other parts of America and the world, that we would know you moving powerfully in our lives, in our circumstances. We know that you, Jesus, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing is too hard for you. 
Nothing is impossible to those who believe. And so for people here, for their, I pray for them, their loved ones, for anyone who right now, whatever the challenge may be, we pray for healing that by the stripes of Jesus, people would be healed. We pray for provision. Lord, as you broke uh, the bread and gave thanks and the disciples handed out the loaves and the fishes, a miracle of provision took place. Let miracles of provision take place. Lord, for people who are, uh, are feeling uh, discouraged, may you encourage them. People who are feeling disconnected, may there be a real powerful connection with you. And Lord, in the midst of hopelessness, may hope rise. Where we see around us so many that have no faith, may faith rise within our hearts and may we make the difference you've called us to make in our world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Well, I wanna take a moment to transition now to a moment where we focus on our giving. And first of all, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving your donations, your tithes and your offerings and for the difference that that is making. Um, we are, as a church, of course, continuing to, uh, to function in the midst of so much that, is, that has changed. We, we are continuing to have our services, although we can't in our building, we still have a building. We are uh, filming in our building and we are sending this message out, hoping that and believing God that we can touch ever increasing numbers of people. We have various ministries that are functioning during the week. Our team go every Friday out to, with Food With Love to Santa Ana and hand out food to a hundred families and people who are being blessed and people who are being impacted by your generosity. Thank you. Uh, I thank that we're so thankful because when every part does its share, it causes the growth of the body. And we're also thankful because it demonstrates the heart of God, that God is a generous God and we have always wanted to be a generous church. And so thank you for that. And uh, as you give, I wanna pray that God will do what he promises to do. He'll multiply the seed that you sow. Uh, what you give will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He will open the windows of heaven as you bring your tithe, the first tenth of all that comes into your life, into the storehouse. But what you give will make an eternal difference in people's lives. People will come into a relationship with Jesus that will transform their lives forever. So let me pray for you now as we get ready to give. Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything we have comes from you. When we give, we are only giving back to you what you gave to us. I pray, Lord, that as we give, as every individual gives, may lives be changed not just for time, but for eternity. May you open the windows of heaven, multiply the seed that's sown, and may we be a light to our city, to our county, and may we make a difference in our world through our generosity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Happy Sunday and welcome to our home. One of my favorite peace zones is sitting in front of our passion fruit vine in our back garden and just watching to see for new passion fruit to flourish or new flowers to bloom and seeing the bees do their work on the flowers and then seeing new fruit. I love watching uh, nature do its thing. And I especially love to go and collect the fruit when it's ripe. And so here is a passion fruit, here's one. Now this guy is just one of many. And in Australia, uh, we would pay four or $5 each for a passion fruit. Isn't that just crazy? But that's because they're really special. And last year we had an entire bowl full at this time. But this year we have two entire bowls full. Why is that? Because this amazing vine keeps producing. And you know, we can be busy in life, you know, productivity, production, but we need to ask ourselves, what are we actually producing? And with the more years we have, the more productivity should be producing more fruit. I wanna to read to you right now from Matthew. Out of the New Living Translation, I'm going to read to you from my devotional Bible, and this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to read to you from verse 17. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It's a really great question to ask ourselves. What are we producing with all of our activity, with all of our effort, even in this season that's very different, Father God still wants us to be producing for his kingdom. So may you experience, like we did, double for any trouble that the past year has brought, not just one big bowl of passion fruit, but two. May God bring you double for any trouble this week and may he bring you his perfect peace. In Jesus' name, I love you. God bless you. Bye. This morning, I want to continue where we left on off last week, talking about how we can live in unity in the midst of disunity. Of course, the framework and context of our series is that passage of Scripture where the children of Israel on the east side or the right bank of the Jordan River are about to cross over to the west into the promised land on the left bank and left side of the Jordan River to possess the promised land. And there's a key passage of scripture which has been the foundation for this series for a while. I want to read it again. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Acacia Grove and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. The Israelites had never been that way before. We've never been the way we are going and we've never been this way before. And we've been talking about transitioning 
how do we transition well in life? Because our transition and the way we transition is very much going to shape our future. So this is the framework for the teaching that I feel is so relevant and pertinent to where we're at now in this transitional stage for us uh, today. So the Israelites were about to make yet another major transition. They were going to transition into the promised land and their success was dependent upon the way that they transitioned. Were they going to transition God's way or were they going to transition their own way? Same question could be asked for you or I. As we transition, are we going to transition God's way or are we just going to do it our way? And it's interesting to note that the nation of Israel had attempted this transition 40 years earlier. When they had come out of Egypt and the early days of the wilderness, God had said, now go into the land. Moses sent out 12 spies, 10 brought back a bad report, two brought back a good report. And instead of going in to possess the land, transitioning the way God would have them to transition, they didn't listen to God, but they listened to all those who were afraid, all those who were fearful, all those who were what could not trust God in this transition and the disunity that followed meant that they failed to transition and they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Now they had the opportunity to transition God's way once again, but it had cost them 40 years. And here's the spiritual truth that we can learn from that. If we transition well, we're going to be able to facilitate uh, the transition into what God has for us in, in a way that is uninhibited or unaffected by the delays that doing things our own way will cause in our own lives. Um, what should have taken a few weeks or months even took them 40 years. And if we fail to transition God's way, it will always take us longer to reach our destination. So as individuals, as a community of faith, as a church, a local church, as the global church, our nation, all over the world as we transition and have transitioned from a pre-COVID-19 world to a COVID-19 uh, impacted world, now uh, hoping and praying and taking steps towards transitioning into a post-COVID world. Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, um, whether we feel like it or not, we're all going to have to transition. You see, the world that we're going to step into, the post-COVID world, is going to be a world that's been forever changed by what's taken place over the last six months to nine months, even a year around the world. And just as our world looked very different after 9-11, so our world is going to look very different after COVID-19. The difference is that in 9-11, there was an enemy from without. There was an enemy from outside and that, that, that brought a threat and an attack on this nation. And the difference was that when that happened, the enemy from without, everyone within stood shoulder to shoulder to face their enemy. It was a visible enemy. And 
we were united in facing that enemy. Now the enemy is an invisible enemy. And to a large degree, the what is taking place in our nation, the racial disunity, the political disunity that's taking place right now is, is a, a turmoil, uh, is a threat from within. And so the threat from within is always far greater than a threat from without. Every great civilization that has crumbled has not crumbled because of the threat from outside of their civilization. It's always come from the threat of internal issues that have fragmented and broken down their civilization. And we need to understand that it's what happens within, what happens within us, which is why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. If what is within us is strong, if what is within us is healthy, if what is within us is, is doing well, we're gonna be able to face whatever comes against us from outside. And so it's so vitally important that we take heed to the words of the Apostle Paul, who said, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, every effort, binding yourselves together with peace. And our unity in the midst of disunity is going to be the key to the success of any transition we make in life at any time. Unity is where God commands the blessing. Unity is the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus prayed to his Father. I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. Unity is the key to seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. And our question today is how can we, as followers of Christ, live in unity in the midst of so much disunity? We've been looking at the transition of God's people from Egypt as slaves into the wilderness as free people, from in the wilderness as a newly formed nation without a land to crossing into Canaan to being a newly formed nation in a land, through whom the savior of the world would come. These transitions were so critical to seeing salvation come to the world. And in a sense, as a church, as we transition into this next season, let's pray that this transition, as we as a global church transition well, that we can transition for, into a place where we can see God's kingdom come, where we can see revival taking place in our world and a spiritual awakening that's taken place because we have learned in the lessons in this time of COVID-19 that can carry, we can carry with us into the land. The apostle Paul said about the nation of Israel, speaking specifically about their time in the wilderness and their entry into the promised land. He said, these things were written for our example so that we who live at the end of the age could learn from their experience. How important it is that we learn from other people's experience. There were major lessons that the children of Israel had learned in the wilderness. We talked recently about, referred to the right side of the Jordan River being the right stage of the biblical drama. And the left side or left bank of the Jordan River being the left stage of the biblical drama. They learned lessons in the wilderness, vital lessons for their survival, their spiritual survival, their survival as a nation. 
and God wanted them to take those lessons with them into the left stage, into the promised land. And we looked at some of those lessons, the spirituality that they learned in the desert where they leaned on God in desperation for their survival. God said, I want you to have that same attitude when you come into the left stage of abundance and you don't need me as much. I want you to lean into me. I want you to be as desperate for me then as you were in the wilderness when your survival depended on it. I want you to take the simplicity that you've learned in the right stage where life was simple and uncomplicated. I want you to take that into the complexity of left stage living. Let's take the simplicity. Some of the things that we've learned, going back to basics in this COVID-19 lockdown season, let's take some of those lessons with us into this time as we cross over into this next season. Let's not get bogged down with the complexity of life when everything opens up again and, and, and goes back to how it was before the COVID-19 pandemic. And then the last thing was God, they had learned in the wilderness a clarity. There was no confusion there, there was clarity. Things were clear, life and death, blessing and obedience, uh, uh, disobedience, obedience, blessing and curses. All of these things were very clear. When they moved to the left stage, things were not going to be so clear. They were going to be more ambiguous. That means things were not as clearly defined. There was going to be more room for personal interpretation on what God had said. Did God really mean this? When in the wilderness, things were very clear. Now, things were not so clear. And what God wanted them to take, which is what we're the focus of our study now, he wanted them to take the unity that had been formed and forged and in a sense forced upon them. They had to live with each other. They had to live in unity uh, in the wilderness. Now that they were coming into the environment of great disunity on the left stage where seven nations were all vying for power uh, in the land. There were seven, there were multiple gods that were all vying for the worship of the people. And they came as one people with one God uh, as a unified nation into a very disunified world. Some of the takeaways very quickly from last week. God places the highest priority on unity as we transition. The devil wants to fan the flames of division and disunity. We must thirdly embrace our diversity within our unity. We can be unified and diverse at the same time. Fourthly, our unity is most fragile and vulnerable during times of transition and then fifthly, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's the key to keeping it all together. So I want to focus today on three major environmental changes that took place for the nation of Israel as they crossed into the promised land. And all of these correlate in actual fact very closely to our experience in any transition, but also in this particular transition that we're in right now. The three transitions were, first of all, their geographical environment was going to change. Secondly, their occupations 
were going to change. And thirdly, their leadership structures were going to change. All three of those were going to change as they transitioned. And all of these were going to have an impact on their ability to maintain unity. Whereas before, their environment, their occupations, their leadership structures, in a sense, uh, in a sense, not only formed and preserved and but forged their unity together. Now those forces were no longer going to be at work. They were going to have to work a lot harder. They were going to have to be much more intentional about maintaining their unity. I think during this last six months, we've had to be much more intentional about our unity because the things that were, in a sense, keeping us unified as we gathered together on a weekly basis and were able to, to communicate, spend time together, and, 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 and we were unencumbered by the restrictions we are now, those, those things have been stripped away. And so we've had to work harder to maintain our focus, to maintain our unity, to be unified in purpose. And the they were entering into an environment that was working against unity. And God was taking the training wheels off their bicycles, so to speak. He was now saying, you're going to have to develop new ways to stay unified. So in the ge- as far as the geographical change of their environment, we see that in the, on the right stage, uh, there were 12 tribes around the tabernacle. We don't know how many square miles that took, but there were several million of them. So it might have been anything from 50 to 100 square miles with the tabernacle right in the middle of it. They were in constant communication and interpersonal relationship with each other, close personal interaction. And all of these factors forged the unity that they experienced. They were now transitioning into a totally different environment. Instead of 12 tribes all together in a space of 50 to 100 square miles, which is a significant uh, space for a camp in the wilderness, they were moving into a land that was 330 miles north to south and 700 miles east to west. And that land was going to be divided up between all of the 12 tribes. They were all going to live in their allotted uh, territories with with borders. They were going to be separated from each other. And that separation brought a disconnection. The topography, the geography of the the land also created uh, natural boundaries, mountain ranges and valleys uh, between them. And the amazing thing is that the nation of Israel uh, is a microcosm of the world. In other words, you can find every kind of uh, geographical and climatic environment uh, within about 150 to 150 miles from desert to lush semi-tropical forests, to uh, farmlands, uh, to arid uh, uh, grazing grounds. All of these are found in a, in a small area. And all of these served to, in a sense, bring a, 
a, a disconnect between the people that ended up with a breakdown in their relationship and a, a, a nation of 12 tribes all together began to fragment what was once a united nation was now becoming a loose-knit coalition of tribes. So their environment was bringing uh, aspects to their life that made unity much harder to maintain. They were distanced from the tabernacle. The tabernacle had been in the midst of them in the wilderness. Now the tabernacle was going to be uh, in Shiloh initially and then Jerusalem. And to give an idea of the distance from Galilee where Jesus, the center of Jesus' ministry to Jerusalem was 60 miles um, and a two to three day walk in those days. So the, the temple, the, the center, the focal point of their faith um, was uh, a long way away. And the potential for it now to be out of sight and out of mind was much greater. Um, I think when we were in the pattern, the habit of coming to church week in, week out, there was a kind of a cadence and a rhythm to our lives that we've had to work harder at to keep, even though we can come to church and watch online, we've had to work harder to keep that. And, and it was the same as they went into the land. Secondly, their occupations changed. When they moved from the right stage, they were primarily shepherds. Now they moved to the left stage, they, were, they had farms, they had cities, uh, there were builders, there were traders, merchants, shepherds, farmers, and the goals and objectives of each of the tribes were very different. They had different focuses. They were focusing on different things and their commonality, that the commonality that that brought was lost. So again, they had to work harder. Let's, let's you know, may, maybe we're not, our area is not an area where there's great farmland, but the, there are other occupations that we're engaged in. What are we gonna focus on? Not our occupation, we're gonna focus on what we have in common. We're gonna focus on our faith. We're gonna focus on the centrality of our identity as a nation. So then the next thing that took place is that their leadership structures changed and the leadership became more autonomous. Leaders of the different tribes became more independent and the consistency of the connection with their leadership was lost. And what happened when the connection uh, to the leadership got lost was that the leadership, instead of providing constant, regular leadership and direction, the leaders ended up becoming troubleshooters. Basically, when there was a problem, the people cried out for a leader. And we see in, this, in the time of the judges that one after another, as the people cried out to God for salvation and to be rescued from their enemies, one, a judge was raised up, and then when the enemies were defeated, the people forgot God, they went back into the cycle of their um, independence until God brought an enemy to turn them towards himself and to use that enemy to get them to, to restore their relationship with him. They cried out again for another savior, a judge. The, the judges were literally called shafitim, which means a savior in, in, um, in Hebrew. And, and those, those judges were basically troubleshooters. The leadership was a troubleshooting government. And that, 
uh, and that ended up ultimately in the division of the nation. The nation was split in two, and what was a unified nation now became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So we see that when they went into the abundance, when they went into the complexity, when they went into the ambiguity, when they went into an environment of disunity, instead of them transforming their environment, they were influenced by their environment in such a way that brought disunity to them as a nation. So what can we learn from these lessons? Well, firstly, we learn that we have to work harder at maintaining unity in certain environments. Um, they, 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 where they became disconnected from God and from each other and from their central place of worship. That's very important for us to, to take note of. They became disconnected from God, disconnected from each other, and disconnected from their place of worship. And um, we, need, we, we can see how easy it is for that to happen to us. And in this season where we've been uh, in lockdown, that disconnection is, is kind of, is, is, is going to be much harder to resist than it was in a pre-COVID environment. And, and where there is no connection, there can be no unity. Unity is dependent upon connection, connection with God, connection with each other. Connection creates unity, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a church, the more connected we are, the more unified we're gonna be. The less connected we are, the more disunity is gonna have an opportunity to undermine our relational fabric and structure. So our connection with God and each other determines the level of our unity. It's easy to see that disunity came into the human race because of Adam and Eve's disconnection from God and the disconnection that came between man uh, and his fellow man or woman. Um, it, it, disunity came in, in, in to place. And for us to experience unity, connection with God and connection with each other is essential. Remember, this is what Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate uh, and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Jesus is saying our connection to him is vital for our health and for our, our unity. Jesus prayed in John 17 and verse 21 to his father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they may be one heart and mind with us. He's talking about his disciples and us who would follow as followers of Jesus. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved me in the same way you've loved me. That you sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. All of these 
observations and lessons of this transition are so relevant to us. And obviously, just like Israel had to do in this season and also stepping into the next season, we're going to have to work harder to keep ourselves unified. We're going to have to work harder to keep the main thing the main thing. COVID-19 has impacted our environment in multiple ways. And of course, racial disunity, political disunity that we've been experiencing in recent months has, has impacted uh, the world in which we live. And, and, and we have to navigate a new landscape, a new social climate that may, has made unity all the more difficult to maintain. We've had to work harder at staying connected. We've had to work harder at staying unified. We've become more isolated. We've become more disconnected. And uh, through all of the restrictions that have been imposed by COVID-19, COVID-19, whether we like it or not, has put distance between us all. COVID-19, whether we like to uh, like it or not, has created an element of isolation for all of us at a time when feelings of isolation in our society have been at an all-time high. First of all, isolation through fear. Do you remember in the early days when the pandemic hit our shores and the fear and panic was palpable? Most of it came out of ignorance. But for some reason or another, if you remember, there was a rush on the supermarkets to buy toilet paper. I don't know how toilet paper was going to solve our problems, but somehow that became uh, a, <laughs> something that in, in people's panic and fear, they rushed to stock up on. Um, the, the, the people were staying away from each other, backing away from each other as much as possible. Um, most of that was, was, was with, with, with fear. Uh, even when we were wearing masks, if someone coughed or sneezed, everyone would take a step back or jump back. And, and, and we isolated, we put distance intentionally between ourselves through fear. The message was stay home, stay safe. And that was the message that we were hearing loud and clear. In other words, stay away from each other. We were hearing that back off, give people distance, put distance between yourselves, put a safe distance between yourself. And the motivation for that was fear. Now, we all understand why, but we have to understand that um, the, the, that whole process, uh, that what we have experienced over a period of time, whether we like it or not, has been working against the grain of everything that we are as a people of faith. As a people of faith, we don't want to back off. We want to, we want to step into uh, people's world and into people's lives. As a people of faith, we want to have some kind of physical touch and connection. I was speaking with some of our friends who are from Peru, from Camino de Vida, and talking about when they were going to re-enter and uh, go back to church life. And they were saying, well, we don't know, but how do we do church when we can't hug each other and we can't kiss each other and we can't be close to each other? Um, because it's so much a part of their culture. It's so much a part of who we are as a people of faith. You know, the Bible talks about, 
giving each other a holy kiss, about hugging each other, and all of those things that, that are ingrained as a part of our culture moving towards people, now we were having to back away. Um, that was the first major shift that we've had to make, isolations through distance and fear. Then secondly, there was isolation by mandate. This was not isolation and distance by choice, it was isolation and distance by mandate. We were mandated to social distance. We had to put six foot distance between us. A lockdown that inhibited and restricted our gathering together, whether it was in social gatherings, recreational sporting gatherings, whether it was in small groups in a church setting or as a church meeting together, we've been unable to gather in an unrestricted way. We have been mandated not to gather together in the church. That is our habit, that's our custom, that's so central to who we are. And we've had to dive into the whole world of Zoom calls. And we're looking at each other through our computer, uh, our computers, through our, our, our iPads or our iPhones or our TV screens, Zoom calls for school uh, classes, uh, Zoom calls for work meetings, Zoom calls for life groups, Zoom calls for every aspect of ministry. And we're looking at each other in little square boxes connected electronically, but so disconnected by physical distance. We've all had to zoom in and now we're all zoomed out. <laughs> we're ready to jump out of our boxes into a world where we can start to connect with people. And we've done church online and I am so thankful that we've been able to do church online and we've been able to gather in our homes. I know that that's become, that's been so easy for, uh, for us. We can roll out of bed in our PJs, make a coffee and sit and watch church and be a part of church. Um, and, and, and we've been able to, we've been able to gather. And as marvelous as that's been, we haven't been able to see each other. You have to put up with seeing me every week. And, and others, the limited number of people that are on our screens. And yet I want to look around and I want to see you. I want to see your faces. As iron sharpens iron, your face is going to sharpen mine. I want to be able to experience that. And, and um, uh, to be able to see the diversity and the extent of our community is so important. And we can't experience the human connection and touch that is so important for our emotional, spiritual, and even physical well-being. We've been told not to touch. Don't touch each other. Uh, don't shake hands. Don't hug. Uh, mm, fist pump, not sure about that. Elbow bump is kind of more acceptable. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing, we've been concerned about touching in the supermarkets. Remember at the beginning, we're worried touching a supermarket trolley, uh, uh, worried about touching something on the shelf that something else, someone else may have touched, the bags that the produce was put in. Um, we, 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 we didn't want to, we were afraid of touch. Touch became something that we, we recoiled from touch. Yet the interesting thing is that even in normal times, most of us touch an electronic device 
sometimes hundreds of times per day. I wonder how many times we touch our, our mobile phone, our, our cell phone. I wonder if you've ever got up from a table and you've gone, I'm missing something, and you've realized, oh, that's my cell phone, that's my mobile device that I'm so used to having in my hand permanently. The device that I'm so used to looking into. I wonder if you ever get shocked when your phone tells you how much screen time you had before. Every time I look at the, my phone and it tells me how much screen time I have, I said, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. But the reality is, whether it's on and I'm looking at it or not, it's probably been in my hand or probably been very close. And, it, and, and yet the, the human touch, the human element has been so missing. Instead of looking into someone else's face, looking into their eyes, looking up to God, we stand and we sit staring into our phones. As human beings, we're wired for touch. We're wired for human connection. It's at the heart of our emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Touch, human touch is our first form of communication. It gives us a sense of security and comfort when we're babies. In good times and bad times, human touch connects us to each other, comforts us during times of sadness, unites us in times of joy and celebration, and puts hope in us when we're afraid. And it always affirms that we're not alone. And we need that touch as much as we need the air that we breathe. I remember reading some time ago, many years ago, a story about a a uh, psychologist, a psychoanalyst, a doctor by the name of Dr. Rene Spitz. And in the 1940s, he made a groundbreaking discovery when he and his colleagues studied babies in orphanages. And in one of the orphanages they were in, the babies had a high mortality rate. Over one third of the babies were dying prematurely. They were dying despite being well-fed, being kept, taken good care of, receiving medical connection. And it was clear that the cause of their death was not to do with the food or medicine, but it was for some other reason. It, the reason for their deaths was not physical. But what they discovered was profoundly significant. Their struggle to survive was not, to due, not due to lack of food or lack of medical supplies, but their struggle to survive was derived from an emotional deficit, the touch of their mothers. It was the deficit of the touch, the human touch of their mothers that caused them to have a higher mortality rate. And so what they began to do was they began to touch the babies. They would, every day, each baby specifically would receive 15 minutes of contact. They would rub the baby's back gently for 15 minutes every day. And, and when they did, they discovered that their survival rate increased. They survived because they had that emotional touch that was essential to their survival. Um, it's so important that we have that touch not just for our emotional and psychological well-being, but even for our physical survival. That touch that has been lost, that we've had to step back from during this COVID season. 
The third thing that uh, that in in that we see is the that the 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 isolation and distance that's mandated is one of the greatest challenges that we're facing at this particular point in time. Um, mental health of kids, mental health of young people is such an important issue these days. I was speaking with Daniel Patterson, one of the great members of our church who does so much great work with young people, helping them uh, through the kinds of things that we're talking about. And he told me that the crisis helplines in Orange County between March and April uh, received their, their, their calls for help increased by 8,000%. In March and April, they increased 8,000%. That means for every one call before March or April, during March or April, there were 8,000 calls. No doubt, lack of connection, lack of contact, lack of touch has had a huge psychological impact on young people. And I want to read this uh, quote here and this article that I read recently um, about that. And I read in this article, I'm quoting here um, regarding uh, the, the uh, impact of, on the mental health of young people. Um, the psychological impact of COVID-19 isolation, uh, as explained by scientists, in staying connected, say, say that staying connected to your community is more important than ever. Cigna is a global health services company dedicated to improving the health, well-being, and peace of mind of those we serve. Cigna's 2020 Loneliness Index notes that three in five Americans report a persistent sense of loneliness, a seven-point jump from the previous 2018 study. Young people ages 18 to 22 and men were most likely to report feelings of isolation with heavy social media users significantly more likely to feel alone, isolated, left out, or without companionship. That's worthy of taking note of. Now as broad swathes of America hunkers down for the foreseeable future to wait out the COVID-19 pandemic. Our online social media usage is set to spike, but will our feelings of despondency and loneliness do so as well? Social isolation can generally be described as the absence of social interactions, contacts, and relationships with family and friends, with neighbors on an individual level and with society at large on a broader level. Being connected to others socially is widely considered a fundamental human need crucial to both well-being and survival. A 2019 study by the American Cancer Society working with data from more than 580,000 Americans discovered that social isolation increases the risk of mortality from every cause across every race. Our research really shows that the magnitude of risk presented by social isolation is very similar to the risk of the magnitude of obesity, smoking, lack of access to care, and physical inactivity. The impact of isolation and distance in every area of our lives is unquestionable. That is why it is so important at this time 
as we transition through these seasons that we stay connected, stay connected to God, stay connected to each other. The enemy wants to put distance between us. Let's close that gap. All of us have different comfort levels. Some of us are more cautious. Some of us are more at risk. Some of us have close family and friends that are more at risk, and we understand that. But let's do everything we can in this season to start to move, to start to make that transition. And as we do, let's know that when we do that, our connection to God, our connection to each other is going to be the key to our unity, the key to us living in unity in the midst of disunity. I pray that this message has encouraged you and I want to pray with you in a moment um, and I want to pray specifically for people today who maybe have heard this message and never ever made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior. I want you to pray this simple prayer after me and when you do, as you pray this with me, you're going to connect with God God is going to cause your spirit to come alive to him and awaken you to him and his presence. He's going to forgive you of guilt and sin and the penalty of sin that separates us from God, puts distance between us and God. And he's going to cause us to know and have an assurance that we have the gift of eternal life, that when we go out of this world, we're going to spend eternity in heaven with him and with our loved ones who have gone before us. I, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me, and I know God's going to touch your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. Today I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me. Give me a new start. And Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and your life so I can follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for what you've done for me. I receive the free gift of eternal life today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for praying that prayer with me. It's the greatest privilege for me, and it's the greatest prayer you could ever pray. On the screen are ways that you can connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you, and we are believing for you to know great days ahead as you follow Jesus. This life brings suffering. Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. Oh
one last time full of faith and God you're so Well, so glad you could join us today, and I pray that, that our worship and, and the Word and every aspect of our service uh, cause faith to rise in your hearts. We love you, we appreciate you, and just believing that as we transition, uh, take these next steps of reintegration and connecting and gathering again, that God will, will help us as a church to come back stronger, come back wiser, come back better equipped to make a difference in our world. And I pray for you that the Lord would bless you, that he would keep you, that he would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you now and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.